0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network.
1: This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula, where not only can you get your comics, your magic cards, and all the stuff that geeks like you will love, but now that accessible washroom is finally complete. This hits home for me, you guys. I'm a guy who uses a mobility scooter. I know how hard it is sometimes to have washrooms accessible in Toronto. So I'm really proud of Leon for putting his money where his mouth is, completing that accessible washroom, and making equal access for everyone. So go on down to 3456 Young Street, Harry Tarantula, and tell them Aaron sent you. Hey fan people, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm always talking about the connection between comics and coffee. It's because I love coffee. I do my French press every morning, I do the pour-over... That's why we've teamed with the superheroes at BAM Coffee, Coffee BAMCoffee.ca. Their roaster Aaron is Canadian, he's from Saskatchewan, and he's a geek like us. That's why he's putting his clean, ethically sourced coffee in something called a BAM box. He's combining coffee with the geek swag that I know our listeners are going to love. That's 700 grams or 350 grams of coffee, With art prints by local Canadian comic artists, a limited edition mug, I mean, what more could you ask for? If you want to try it, he's giving a special promo code to Speech Bubble listeners, SB15. So go to bamcoffee.ca, type in SB15 at checkout, and get 15% off your first BAM box. Hey maybe you want to just try the coffee, that's okay too. He'll send you 150 grams of coffee, and all you gotta pay for is the shipping. I mean, that's a pretty amazing deal. So go to bamcoffee.ca and tell Aaron that Aaron sent you. listening to speech bubble the podcast that goes one on one with toronto's comic book luminaries here's your host aaron broverman godspeed old chum hey fan people welcome to another episode of speech bubble i am your host aaron broverman you found us on never sleeps network at neversleepsnetwork.com uh, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast needs met. Um, with me today, we have uh, Becca Kinsey. Uh, Becca, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? It's, uh, it's good to talk to you. Obviously, uh, we're trying something new. We're doing a... Skype call um, because obviously we're under the uh, the quarantine of COVID-19, the uh, pandemic that's happening with the virus. So if the sound is a little bit different, uh, that's why we are uh, recording through Skype. So hopefully uh, you can hear all of us and everything is cool in that way. Um, Becca is somebody that's, you know, local to uh, Kitchener-Waterloo area in Ontario. Uh, She's known for her independently published book uh, Gehenna Death Valley, which is sort of like uh, a horror comic akin to You know, I know what you did last summer sort of those classic teen horror movies like Scream and that sort of thing at least that's what it reminded me of. Uh, she's also doing uh, The Beholden with Bob Sally, uh, and that's going to be published by SourcePoint Press. Uh, Bob is a friend of mine from Boston, and uh, I, I think we met uh, at Fan Expo uh, la- last year. Yeah, last year. So uh, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. We almost had him on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll have him on the show in the future. Um, But for now, before we get into Gehenna Death Valley, I want to talk about uh, what was your early life like? Yeah, I used to watch them, uh, Thunderbirds, yeah. and yes. you know, uh, there was a total, there was a ton of them. Yes, so Thunderbirds was my thing
0: back in the day, and then I uh, moved on to Star Wars. So for a time when I was a kid, those were the best movies ever in my world. And then as I got older, and um, I got into things. Uh, at the time, like six or seven, I started reading newspaper comic book, comic strips, like Calvin and Hobbes, Garfield and that. I watched a lot of Saturday morning cartoons at the time, and gravitated towards Calvin and Hobbes, and then I moved on to, as I got older, uh, I got into manga and anime, and some indie comics, uh, like Mouse, for example, and movies, I started to get into like, fantasy and then into horror um, uh, and I remember what we're talking about, like world events and that, I remember when I'm just thinking of like the last major world event that kind of affected,
1: I say North America mostly, <sighs> well, 9-11. Okay. Right.
0: And everyone was just what's going to happen next. And my escape was Dragon Ball Z. So I had a group of friends and I who would be into that stuff and it was just our escape from what
1: would be happening in the real world what happened uh, like how old were you back then what grade were you in
0: when that happened? yeah um,
1: i was uh man that was 2001 i was in grade 10 so i would have been 14 15 yeah nice i was 15 yeah yeah so it's kind of heavy for like a 15 year old uh yeah it's nice to have uh, anime as as your sort of respite from what's going on. Oh, yeah, I don't know what else to
0: say. Oh, and as far as the drawing goes, like I also of course love to draw, and uh, I really got into it when I was. 10.
1: captured you about uh the newspaper uh, strip comics like what what did you appreciate about them what did you like about the the medium We're but it's also just the line work,
0: everything was so expressive and lively and also really fun or funny to look at.
1: Well, how old were you when you first started getting into them? Cartoons and TV. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was pretty much my life, too. Like, what kind of Saturday morning cartoons were you into? What was allowed,
0: again, with the conservative upbringing, there was a lot of stuff we weren't allowed to watch. Like, I remember the day, this sounds so silly, I was like, I must have been three years old, but the day I remember, we were told we were not allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I was so upset, because I loved that show
1: so much. But, yeah, but anyway. It, it was um, just so the we violence up. and stuff? Sorry? It was just the violence? The vi- Yeah, the perceived cartoon violence or whatever it was that concerned
0: parents at the time. But just, you know, you look at the, the, um, the cartoons now and it's so silly. Right. You know, like, no, not, nobody says the word kill. It's like, I will destroy you and all that. And the foot ninjas were, if I remember correctly. Been a while. We're robot, robots, not real people, anyway. Um, that aside, uh, the stuff we were allowed to watch. Like I, I watched a lot of Garfield. Uh, I watched a lot of Bugs Bunny, like Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show. Um, and then my dad would bend the rules a little bit, and so we also watched those like cops and just whatever was on TV. Um, also the Disney cartoons, like Gummy Bears. And- DuckTales,
1: and all of those. Those are good shows. Like, I totally, I totally watched those shows. Like, honestly, I mean, I watched the other shows, too, but, uh, you know, there's nothing to sneeze at if you're watching, like, DuckTales and stuff. Like, that, those mm-hmm. are good. Also, best theme song ever, DuckTales. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think they brought it back for, for the remake, too. Yeah, it's supposed to be really good. Nice. So you mentioned that you started drawing, like you got into drawing stuff that like was from, uh, comic strips or things that re- resembled things like Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes. And then as you got older, uh, you started drawing other things. Uh, what were those things?
0: Um, it was a lot of experimentation, just trying to figure out what my voice was like. It started with I wanted to see if I could sketch, and then as I got into it, manga and anime, I did draw in a manga style for a bit, until um, one of my family members who's an artist, um, my aunt, was like, hey, you should probably move away from that, because so many people, or so many kids, are trying, trying to draw or copy that style, try to come up with your own voice, and I was like, hmm, oh, okay. So, I took that as a challenge, and uh, I started out trying to blend the manga influences with whatever... I don't know how to explain it, but I was just trying to come up with your own drawing style is very difficult. It's like you have to relearn how to draw all over again. So it's just been a continual...
1: Is that even a word? Anyway, it's been a... Yeah, continual is a oh, no word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's been a process. So I'm
0: still... my head onto paper or on my tablet and the way I want want them to come out, but it's it's still I allow my work to evolve, so if I were to describe my style, I still don't know don't know how to
1: I don't know what it is really. But it's it's its own. Yeah, I, I think that's what I makes not, you unique. Sorry. Like I think I think that's what makes you unique, I was just gonna say. Um yeah the, the fact that it's still evolving and you're still finding it is sort of exciting for fans of yours i think yeah creatively i don't like being restricted in a box or a box full of rules i just like to experiment and have fun with what i'm creating okay okay cool cool so i guess like were you always somebody who drew
0: loved drawing like I loved using pencil crayons or crayons like my favorite subjects in school was always art and anything that involved creating anything except for crafts I'm not a crafty person but anything with creation that involves drawing in some form I always loved it it was it's always a peaceful experience for me and it was always the place where uh at the time when I was a kid I received less judgment from if that makes sense like like being already weird and kids are like you know this girl who isn't allowed to watch certain things and all this stuff but then oh okay drawing though that was you weren't made fun of or I wasn't made fun of for drawing
1: oh to- totally so like people thought it was cool yeah
0: positive or just like, oh, well, that's cool, you know, and, but I didn't think of anything of it at the time until 10 or 11 when I was like, oh, I can actually draw, I guess, okay, I'll just keep doing it, you know,
1: and it wasn't just
0: to get approval, it was just something that I felt naturally comfortable with.
1: That's awesome. Did, you mentioned before that your, your aunt was an artist and she kind of yeah. told you to Find your own style and, and you know stop doing what other kids were doing in terms of uh, anime and manga because that that's what a lot of kids were doing. What yeah. what what kind of art did your aunt do? Like what kind of artist was she? Oh, she's still an artist. Uh, she's I would say,
0: I mean, she can correct me if she wants to if she hears this podcast, but I'd say she's influenced more European style of arts. Um, and I got a lot of art history lessons from her. And also art lessons in general, when we would visit. Um, and she she had a good has a good history knowledge, and it's like yeah, I always learned something new from her. And she would always. Um, I remember, after one visit, she would mail over uh, a couple of art kits. Remember, like back in the day, these art kits would they were popular, and it was a selection of pencil crayons and watercolor
1: paints, and you used to get them from costco at the time yeah i totally remember that That the yeah yeah. i might have had one yeah Yeah. and then she would add
0: um extra paints like oh i put this here because it's super helpful etc
1: and also like how to draw books which we still have them to this day um did you like how did you start getting into comics was it like you know, did you start collecting actual comics? Uh, did you want to get into, like, storytelling? How did you, you know, start making comics of your own? Uh, it was a slow process.
0: It started with collecting manga. That was the first batch of comics I was collect. And then also during high school, I went to Cameron Heights, and the shop that was within walking distance was then and now books. Or now and then books. I, I have a horrible feeling I may have mixed up the name.
1: Yeah, totally like um i i think it was called now and then books and i think harry kramer the the owner who passed away i mean i yes. think now and then books was uh the first comic shop in canada if i'm not mistaken yeah. and uh yeah. actually the the harry kramer award uh from the schusters is named after harry kramer the the owner yes. of now and then books because it was the first comic mm-hmm. shop in canada and it it rewards, like, you know, the best comic retailer in Canada for, for that year. I just should tell our listeners that. So, pretty awesome that you get to go to, like, essentially the original comic shop for a time. It was one of the best shops, and I'm very sad it's not there anymore, but... What was he like? Did you ever get to meet him?
0: I didn't, unfortunately. Um, store like there was so many cool books there and cool toys some of the toys
1: I would see there um, how yeah, it was, sorry how did it compare to other um shops that you go in now um I'm not sure how to describe it but
0: now now and then books it had its own flair or style well, not style but it was different somehow I don't know how to put it but it was it had
1: its own charm Awesome. it was just the environment that you were in it
0: was definitely welcoming and i'm not saying the other places are not welcoming far from it like i love carry-on comics
1: that that shops in waterloo but uh
0: but i just re- i just have good memories from
1: from high school nice that's cool and and you got to i noticed that some of the comics that you got into that your friend introduced you to like uh Like Lenore and and Johnny the Homicidal uh, Maniac by uh, Johan Vasquez, they're kind of in that sort of horror, but like teenage sort of goth vein that you're sort of exploring with uh, Gehenna. So were those big influences on you? So we were we
0: loved
1: watching weird shows like that. Nice. Do you do you sort of like that mixture of like horror and comedy and sort of uh, this weird acerbic uh, biting wit that comes from those those oh, comics? I, I love watching
0: messed up stuff like that. It's just it's
1: fine. It's weirdly cathartic
0: in a way, but it's it was just to see there was, some, there was something weird available
1: that was enjoyable, enjoyable is enjoyable. So do, do you think? I'm like, sorry, go ahead. Do you think because of your uh, conservative upbringing and like not being allowed to see violent or messed up things, uh, that's why you're sort of attracted to that sort of stuff now?
0: censored. It doesn't always happen, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a genetic thing. Like, some people are just drawn to that kind of stuff, but I don't know. I'm still unsure of what it is, but it's like there's something that's always been there, like a darkness. And I don't mean to get mystical or anything like that, but it's it seems like a natural thing I've drawn to. Even when stuff like that was banned, you know, I'm if I saw artwork from something horror related or going to the movie store and you're seeing the horror section and I'm like looking at the covers, it's just, it looks scary, but it's fascinating at the same time. You know, it's like, why is this so bad? And then once I got deeper into horror and like, Oh, it's not quote unquote bad at all. It's actually a really interesting genre and related to other genres too, like fantasy or sci-fi and, um, and that horror or dark, uh, dark stories can be a way of talking about
1: things that people don't normally like to talk about. Right. They're sort of illustrations of our insecurities. Yes, precisely. Cool. And sometimes they can be quite comedic. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned that you... You started a web comic just as you got more into drawing, like in an indie style, and, and you wanted to do your own comic. So tell me about that. Like, like what made you want to start your own web comic, and what was it, and how did it go?
0: Um. So I started my first comic, which was Kidapperific, and basically it was just just to see if I could actually write a story, and to see where it would go from there. And one thing led to another. I think I started, it was 2008 when the first page posted, like May 8th, 2008, I think was the date. But then, shortly after that, a year later, I'm in an artist alley at the um, Fan Expo, sharing a table with a couple of friends. And, you know, years later, up at this point, I've finally reached a Guest status, I guess, for um, Fan Expo and Toronto Comic Con. So it's it's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. But yeah, it's the comic. I can't even look at the first pages anymore. It's just, just the evolution. It's like, are you draw drawing like that? You know, and it was at when I first started. It was like, oh, you know, I know a lot of things. And looking back, I'm just like
1: not know what you were doing (laughs) so what what changes have you seen in your technique like where did you start out and where are you now Um, what what kinds of mistakes were you making i guess is my question well i followed a lot of bad advice at the beginning
0: so one advice and artistic other aspiring artists if you're listening always use a drawing reference i mistakenly followed advice that you shouldn't be using visual reference for drawing Which, you know looking back I'm like wow I should have cracked open an anatomy book to uh, get the pose accurately drawn uh, so that's like one of my big regrets with uh, with cadaverific and then I also learned a lot about what tools worked and what worked and didn't work at the beginning I still drew everything traditional uh, I still draw traditional but I've been drawing more and more digital just for convenience and speed and also at the beginning I didn't know a lot about color and lighting and shading and so over the years uh, thanks to critiques I got from other artists and also from getting work, color flatting and all that, that I picked up some some tips from people that helped me improve as
1: the years went on. Yeah, what about the audience for Cadaverific? Like, did you get a response for your webcomic? A little bit of a response.
0: Uh, Nothing, like, it was never super popular or anything like that. But what I learned about, the other thing besides drawing, you learned the business side of comics. So that includes uh, budgeting self-publishing a comic book which led to by 2010 I was self-publishing or getting printed copies of the books out at conventions and not knowing at all what I was doing but I'm just like let's see if this works and I had a very small print run the issue one sold out at Fan Expo so I was like oh okay so people do buy this are buying this thing so I kept going with the other issues um
1: just lost my train of thought here No, it's okay. Was there an online community? Like I know that one of the advantages of online comics is that people uh, can talk to the writer and artist immediately. Did you find people commenting as you were releasing? Did you release like weekly? It just got more um, prominent yeah yeah more prominent like <laughs> it went from at the start like I would be
0: using it's like it's like Flickr for example and then you know today where you know it's become irrelevant you know with new social media taking over um, so yeah the way we communicate with uh, fans and customers and within the I know, from 2008 to now, it's changed a lot, but I think for the better, and I think things
1: are more accessible now than they were even back then. Right, for sure. So, after Cadaverific, did you go right into Gehenna, or what happened next? I had the idea for Gehenna, actually,
0: since 2008, but I put it aside just so I can get Cadaverific finished. Oh, yeah, I remember one thing with Cadaverific I learned from was... Marketing and I, the other thing I regret is titling the comic Cadaver because those of you who are Dragon Ball fans know that if you watch the Team Four Star parodies, that title Cadaver came from those videos. And so I got a lot of confusion from fans um, at Fan Expo, and they thought, oh, it's a Dragon Ball uh, inspired comic or something. And I'm like, no, no, it's a comic. Completely different story, and I lost so many sales because once people realized, oh, it's not a parody or it's nothing to do with the team four star Dragon Ball uh,
1: parodies, you know. And I'm just like, okay, I need to get better with titling. Do you think? Marketing. Do you think because you were watching Dragon Ball at the time, or you had watched it? Do you think you titled it that unconsciously because of the influence of Dragon Ball in any way? assumption that the team four star videos would just be a passing thing
0: but obviously they're still going as far as are they still going i haven't watched the videos for a while so i'm a terrible fan but um yeah i greatly
1: underestimated how long those videos would be popular for so yeah totally yeah cool anyway sorry go ahead yeah i mean yeah you you know you make your mistakes like that's fine it's because you can always do like the next the next thing, right? So for you, yeah. uh, was Gehenna the next thing? Yeah, so uh,
0: after Cadaverific was done, I just moved on immediately to Gehenna, and I think, like the same year, I finished Cadaverific in the spring and then moved on to Gehenna. The first comic page went up in October of 2014, and the whole thing wrapped up recently, uh, last year. And um, I got my first graphic novel, novel out last summer, so that was a huge, huge accomplishment, personal accomplishment. Um, and again, it's self-publishing that, and I think things went better from of this time, based on things I learned from the past. I still say it's not; there's still not really a huge following for it, but I've gotten better with connecting with fans or people who. Take and also uh, my networking has expanded because, okay, of like meeting uh, Alfonso, for example, from Studio Comics Press, and exploring more options with printing, and now that there's the
1: print shop here in Kitchener that prints comics. And... Yeah, I mean he he's been really uh, instrumental in. Uh, helping out independent creators with his store that only sells uh, independent comics and uh, and his print shop Uh, He's one of the hardest working People in the KW region as far as uh, comics are concerned Uh, We've had him on the show before so if you're listening to this and you want to know more about Alfonso Espinos uh, just go in our archive and uh, either search on neverseemsnetwork.com or uh, when you subscribe, you will uh, see his episode in the list of uh, episode options for you.
0: Yeah, his, his shop, and he's been a great help and it's because I'm fortunate that with the shop here in Kitchener, uh, I didn't need to post a Kickstarter because I, I managed to save costs by having a shop local here and just getting it done myself, like saving money aside Took a short print run done of the graphic graphic novels, and you
1: know he's been a great help with the community. That's for sure. Nice. So tell me about Gehenna. Where did the idea come from? Uh, if people aren't have never heard of it, uh, how would you sort of describe it to them?
0: from i had these uh crummy uh, dollar store kabuki masks i i don't know if that's what they actually are but they're these porcelain uh, clay mask thingies and it was a christmas gift and they came with these horrible paints and so i'm like okay i'll just paint these whatever and the paint came out horrible and splotchy and just gross so anyway, that was the beginning of where Gehenna came from, because I'm looking at these masks, I'm like, these look like a serial killer, or something a serial killer would wear. So, and the mask design became uh, the masks that the dwellers wear from the Gehenna story. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to make a simple horror story, and it expanded more than I intended to, but I had a lot more fun with this story, and uh, I feel more proud with the artwork in this one, and I was like, I'm still evolving with that, but
1: uh, it was definitely a better experience working on this comic, for sure. Right, right. How long did it take you to do from beginning to end? Um, it went from 2014 to last year, 2019. Right, right. And so Gehenna started on the web as well. some of the stuff that's discussed uh, is sort of mature, mature subject matter. Yeah. I I get. I totally get it because like if you're going to if you're going to portray it at all, you should portray it accurately, right? Like that's where yeah. the sort of visceral impact comes from, you know what I mean? Like especially if you're doing a horror comic, part of the horror is the body horror and the anatomy and yes. the violence of it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like John Carpenter is like a big influence for body horror stuff, like The Fly and The Thing and that sort of stuff. So and I think Cronenberg, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Cronenberg and yeah, for sure like Escape from LA and for John Carpenter and stuff and Cronenberg it's like totally. Like I totally get where that's that's uh, that's an influence. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um you yeah. m- you mentioned that you were doing a lot of uh, color flatting and stuff. Uh I heard that you did some of the color assistance work or color flatting work uh, on Kaptara with uh, Chip Zdarsky and uh, Kegan MacLeod. How did you get that job?
0: so far have been awesome but
1: those two especially have been really awesome to work with and uh two of the best people to work for nice did did you meet ian at uh, tcaf as well sorry did you meet ian at tcaf as well
0: no i um how oh, did it happen oh it's through email so i got great artist to work with too FYI Um, and he's um, I learned a lot of coloring tips from him I learned a lot of illustration tips from him too like overall great guy and he also has a webcomic on Tapas called Junior Citizens you should check it out it's a fun sci-fi story but anyway um, but yeah it started with Ian and so it started with small jobs like Shakespeare and then it grew into other uh, small jobs, or bigger jobs, where I'm planning like about 10 pages per book to 20 pages per book. Um nice. through Ian, where he, um, sorry, where um, I got in contact with Chip.
1: about those guys. Totally. So, for people who don't know, what is color flatting? Um, (coughs) sorry, excuse me. Um, color
0: flatting, it's basically the first, uh, first step in coloring a comic book. So, if you're working primarily, you use Photoshop to do flats. So, I would take a page, like, usually from Dropbox or something, and, or some delivery client like that, and uh, I put a layer under the ink layer and just make selections under the ink layer, and basically, oh, it's hard to describe without the visuals, but um, it's like basically you're making selections under the ink layer, and there has to be no white gaps underneath ink layer it's everything has to be solid block colors and then you send the file back to the colors when you're done flatting the page and they do the rest like the rendering or change the colors you picked
1: and uh yeah i that was probably a terrible explanation but <laughs> so you're, you're basically preparing the page for coloring then yes okay so there's so there's no white space you're making sure that all the inking is like solid black and it looks like a fully completed inked page and there's no there's no gaps, right yeah so basically i don't worry about the inks i just have to worry about the layer under the inks Okay.
0: it has to be fully colored basically and i'll just okay here's an example so anyone who reads hellboy uh hellboy and it's just that's an example
1: of flat colors that's what they look like right okay cool so where you you see all that like that like really big contrast with like the blacks and the colors that sort of thing
0: yeah like it's not so much um some comics just flat there's sometimes you can get away with just using flat colors on comics like hellboy works because there's a lot of contrast within the artwork for example, but if you're uh, flatting a comic, like anything Chip draws or Kate draws, um, just using flats would not work so well. All right. Okay. No, I said that wrong. But okay. Let's just... Uh, okay. I'm totally following
1: this. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, no, no. It's fine. Okay. It's, it's hard to explain. It is. Um, so Chip's work would look horrible with just
0: plain flat colors. It needs more rendering
1: or effects to it right Uh, yeah because if you look at something like sex criminals it's more vibrant there's sort of effects that happen and 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 that sort of thing it sort of pops off the page a little more yes yeah totally yes exactly okay cool so you're like you're like the underlayer before the the main colors that you see in the book will go on right yes precisely nice Cool. All right. That makes sense. I think people can follow that for sure. Maybe uh, for our social media, when uh, this episode comes out, I'll get you to maybe post an example of, uh, of color flatting so that I can show uh, the listeners, if they go to uh, at speechbubblepod, I can show them uh, an example of what color flatting uh, looks like. Okay. Yeah, yeah because totally. be- You cut out a little bit. Oh, just just that I would I would maybe post uh, your examples of color flatting on on social media, just so people yeah. could get an idea of what it what it looked like when the yeah. episode comes out. Yeah,
0: I got a short
1: clip somewhere on my computer of uh, me flatting something, so I'll just send that to you when. Sounds Sounds good. Sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about the project you're working on uh, with Bob Sally for SourcePoint Press. It's called The Beholden, right? Yeah. Um, I'll just, as much as I can tell you. Yeah, for sure. That's what you're working on right now, right?
0: it's, he's a great fit for the project, and um, it has just slowly come together, the inks are coming together, and I'm just really, really excited for it to come out when whenever it comes out, but, yeah, it's going to be a very short series, um, up to four
1: issues, I believe. I, I think I can say that, so. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, totally. yeah. Cool. But no, it's been it's been great, it, and it's my first um, writing gig, too. It's very exciting yeah i mean bob i know a lot because he works with a lot of uh toronto and gta and ontario uh artists uh he worked with sean daly on ogres i think and fantastic, uh, he, fantastic book by the way yeah really good I, I have it i highly recommend uh our listeners check it out he also worked on uh the Salvagers. And his, his main publisher is SourcePoint Press, so he works with SourcePoint Press a lot. Uh, yeah. I think they're a publishing house, small indie publishing house out of uh, Michigan, I think. So uh, if you listen to uh, Jason Clark, another podcast, if you listen to his podcast, An Elegant Weapon, uh, which is also on Neverseed's Network, uh, he is sponsored by SourcePoint Press, so he has a lot of the SourcePoint guys on it. So if you if you buy something like The Beholden, or ogres, or salvagers, or anything else that Bob wrote, or and that Becca worked on, uh, and you and you want to know more about Sourcepoint Press, uh, you should go to an Elegant Weapon for sure and listen to that uh, podcast. For sure, and also during this time, during the COVID nineteen
0: outbreak, um, if you see Sourcepoint Press posting about a live auction, like that's one way you can help them out during this time, because they're they're also a casualty of you know, the Many many events that have been canceling because you know of recent events. So uh, they just had a live auction uh, a couple of days ago, but they'll have another. I think they'll have another one very soon. So stay tuned on the socials for
1: information for that. But, With the COVID yeah. stuff happening, are are you okay as an artist? Has it been a bit of a struggle? Like, what's your life been like so far? Uh,
0: is one main reason I have not opened commi- my commission list yet but I may do so down the road um but yeah I was supposed to go to Toronto Comic Con um uh, this week and for reference this this is the week of uh
1: March 18th as we're talking but yeah. it, it's been cancelled I'm understandable i was so looking forward to going but at the same
0: time I'd rather people be safe and not spread the COVID-19 even further, but yeah, it sucks, you know, it was like, I've been in hibernation mode during the winter, getting some new work out, I was hoping to get a new comic I'm making out, but I'm pushing it back to summer or fall right now, but anyway, uh, and I was looking forward to seeing people again, and you know, seeing fans and others again at
1: uh, Toronto Comic Con, but you know, it is what it is we need to be safe and that's more important how what is it like seeing people that don't normally work from home suddenly have to work from home when you've been doing it for your entire career you can't you can't ignore it i mean we we sort of have to bring it up on the podcast because like that's the new reality we're living in right now and uh Mm -hmm. you know like i i'm really fortunate that like you know recording a podcast is still conducive to the conditions we're living in so Mm -hmm. so that we can even do this this is pretty good um i think the last thing i want to talk about is like what has your uh, convention experience been like? What is it like for you as a female artist on the scene? Because, you know, this industry is dominated by men, obviously. And I just want to get a sense of um, what it's like for you, what you've experienced as a woman uh, in comics so far.
0: So far, for me, I can't speak for other experiences, but um, I say most people here are very respectful, treated as e- everyone's treated as equals. Uh, I think it's, we're very fortunate to live in an area of the world that's very diverse culturally, and, um, you know, the, the elitism isn't so
1: relevant in a way. And again, I'm speaking for my experience, too. Of course. Um, also,
0: sometimes though I, I kind of dread that question, and I it is an important question though. Don't get me wrong. But again, for the I find like talking to people in the past and then like not naming things or anything. But it's I'm just happy with this conversation. We're able to talk about artwork and comics and that. where sometimes past conversations with like, towards what's it like being a female and all that not so much about the artwork or work or promoting a book that you know you work so hard on and then the question you get is what's it like being you know a woman working in the industry and it's like I you know it's important but can we talk about um,
1: this thing I've been working on for months you know yeah yeah you kind of feel like a novelty I guess promote yourself you you have a sketch of yourself sort of uh as a skull it's more of a sketch so that it emphasizes the work rather than what you look like or the fact that you're you're female yes
0: yes exactly like it's an attempt in hopes that the conversation would go towards artwork and not so much oh you're a girl i mean the worst and it doesn't happen all the time like i'll say this there's been like a couple of
1: times where, say, I'm at a convention and someone will come up and be like, "Oh, you're a you're a girl," and they'll start hitting on you. you know? Oh. And it's like, sir, what am I selling? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like what, I am not here to, you know, so, be with you. You know. Yeah, exactly. I, and so, like the experience, you know, m- that strategic decision of making yourself uh more uh like emphasizing the work through the sketch and everything Mm -hmm. that that was definitely based on uh past experience right yeah yeah and i think also it's it's hard to do because now we're in such a visual based culture especially with social media um you
0: know and selfies are more common than that and i just rather just move away from that i don't want my identity Based on what I look like or my gender, I just rather be known for the work I create. You know, when we look at the great artists of the past,
1: you know, comic artists, any medium, do we talk about the work or what they look like, you know? That makes sense. Definitely. Like, you know, as a person with a disability, I don't want to just be, oh, like, you're the disabled podcaster and stuff like that. I mean, it does give you some opportunities because people are more interested in representation and trying to be diverse more than they ever have been. So yeah. it's, it's important to sort of embrace uh, that sort of thing if you think it's going to be beneficial. But at the same time, like I understand what it's like to be pigeonholed and uh, sometimes you're only getting your opportunities, it feels like, because you are a woman or you are a minority. Uh, so yeah. I, I know how that feels, I think. Yeah,
0: sometimes, you know, I feel like ugh, a little bit in this industry that I'm such a hack because I'm just, oh man, I hope I'm not I haven't gotten this far because of my gender. You know, there's that insecurity at in the back of my mind, but I which it's you know, it's not the case, really. But you
1: know what I mean? It's just you know I don't know, I were thinking, but I think I think yeah. everybody has sort of imposter syndrome. Like I can't yeah. possibly be as good as people think I am. Especially um, since I sorry, go ahead i was just going to say like but sometimes you have to find the balance of embracing your opportunities even if it is because of your minority status or the fact that you're a woman but then also recognizing that you do have talent at the same time and it Mm -hmm. might be a little bit of both or one more than the other in different situations but they're both there right yeah and um
0: Right, so it, it heightens my insecurity a bit more in that you know, with the imposter syndrome. But I'm, I like to think I'm getting better
1: with just accepting, okay, I am here at this point, i worked hard, you know, accept things that come along, right? Right, exactly. Cool. Um, is there anything else uh, that you want to talk about? other horror stories in the works independently published yes for now awesome um both writing and drawing this project um i've got a few pages
0: quite a few pages drawn for it so far but um with COVID-19 throwing a wrench it's i've had more time to develop this idea and work more on the beholden What's to come. So stay tuned. And also, again, please support any, every, anyone who's affected by this support. Mm-hmm. You know, your favorite artist, um, share, retweet, whatever. If um, anyone opens a commission list or they have
1: a live auction going on, you know, um, everyone needs support more than ever now. Right, right. I, I, uh, I echo those sentiments for sure um the Gehenna like the full title of Gehenna is Gehenna Death Valley it suggests because there's a colon uh that you you might return to the Gehenna universe because you could say like Gehenna something else you know what I mean are and you funny you should say that because yes I do intend to
0: return to Gehenna after this current project is done
1: um so stay tuned for that too awesome Where can uh, people follow you on social media if they want to keep up with the stuff that you're doing? If you launch another webcomic, for example, if you do return to the Gehenna universe, uh, how can people uh, keep in touch or follow what you're doing?
0: Okay, so you can
1: follow me on Instagram at the underscore Becca, um, Facebook at And I also have my website, thebecca.com. Nice. Well, thank you so much, uh, Becca Kinsey, for coming on. Uh, It's been a great conversation. And uh, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. You're so welcome. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.